Today on The Real Guy Podcast, we have John Lowe's from Clean Waterways. John is a third-generation Floridian and has grown up here in Fort Lauderdale. Like so many of us, John has watched and discussed as fish populations have diminished and polluted water has become the new normal. After the record-breaking sewage spill here in Fort Lauderdale, John used his fishy background to come up with a solution. In this podcast, you will hear his story and how his idea is now a piece to the puzzle in saving our waterways. Clear the airways. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is the Real Guy Podcast. John, thanks so much for coming into the Lunker Dog Studios and appreciate you being on the podcast. Absolutely, brother. Now, John's old Fort Lauderdale. Um, how many generations? Uh, my dad was born here back in Broward General when it was a dirt road. Okay. To get to Broward General. So it's like so. back in the... He 40s? was born in, yeah, I don't know if he wants me to tell him how old he is, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, in old, the 40s, yeah. Old, old, old Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, and I'm, you know, very tied to the Foreman family who have been here since 1903, you know, uh, Austin Foreman. The patriarch is, uh, you know, they've been here since 1903. They've right. seen a lot of stuff, and, uh, you know, that's, like, you know, I roll with uh, people that uh, I know care and I've seen all the changes and been around it, right? So, uh, right, right. And um, talk to, I mean, t- t- tell everybody the, um, how you created your love for fishing in the water. Well, when I grew up, uh, I loved fishing and I would fish the canals at Rio Vista, right? And uh, throw my cast net and get some mullet and throw my Zara spooks and do all that stuff. And uh, I met Andy Moyes on the canals of Rio Vista and, he would teach us a lot of things, uh, give us a lot of knowledge. We would we would sit there for hours, right, fishing. Right. Moyes would show up for like 10 minutes and yoke like a 30-pound snook, and we'd be like, what the hell just happened? Right. You know, we've been here putting in our hours, and this guy shows up and yokes a 30-pound snook right in front of us in 10 minutes. <laughs> right? So. Well, I just think, it, I think it's, I think it's, one, it seems like the common theme, if you're old Fort Lauderdale and you grew up here on the canal system and the rivers and stuff, was spending time catching big snooks. Mm-hmm. Everybody. Like, I just finished a, a recording with uh, John Tedder. Mm-hmm. JT. Know? Yeah, old JT. His dad was a famous judge in town. The right. Courthouse Road is actually named after his dad. Right. Most right. A lot of people don't know that about JT. Yeah, no, he's he's like, you know, like you. I mean, old Florida, um, same exact neighborhood, the canals, the intercoastal, but common theme, always chasing the big snooks around the neighborhood. And I tried to... I tried to uh, um, relay that to all the audience over the years. And all the West Coasters who want to measure their snooks and 40-inch snook club, this, that, and the other. And I'm like, dude, old school is 30-pound-plus snook or it don't even count. Right. And that's the old Fort Lauderdale way of thinking. So John Lowe's is obviously um, to be around, you know, some of the best fishermen. Let's just say real guy. I appreciate that kind word. So are you. So are you. (laughs) And being on the Real Guy podcast, it's kind of a big deal to be a real guy. Well, we've both been passionate about, uh, about we care, you know. There's so much that goes into uh, trying to do what we're doing to help the waterways. Right. And passion is part of it. And uh, without that passion, like the company we currently have, we operate 84 hours a week. You right. know, that's that's a long week. Right. Uh, I'm not saying I'm there every every hour, but uh, just operating 84 hours a week is a, is a challenge. Right. Being a longtime local... I guess it was just kind of natural for you be, to be around, you know, some of the best fishermen. So yeah, it was it was really cool. Um, 
you know, Jimmy David, you know, Danny Massa, you know, all those guys, right? John Stevens. I mean, they were just, you know, look at who, you know, you, their, their, their names speak for themselves, right? I mean. Uh, well, they're all some of, the, some of the best fishermen that came from, from Broward County. And it's just funny that this town was such a small town when we grew up. So if you competed or you snook fished, no matter what you did, is like you kind of knew each other. It yeah. had that small town feel to it, mm -hmm. which unfortunately we can't say anymore about Fort Lauderdale. It just doesn't have that small town feel. But if you can look behind the scenes, some of the people are still there, mm -hmm. but there's no way to understand Fort Lauderdale if you've got if you've only been here for like ten years. Right. You know what I mean? Like our growth rate and the way this town works. And um, now your family had a lot to do with that, right? Like as far sure. as... My, um, my father was a developer. Um, so I've seen both sides of it. I've seen, um, you know, I grew up around politics and grew up around development. And uh, we haven't, my family hasn't done much development in the last 10, 15 years because of it just wasn't the right thing to do. And... Uh, because we're locals uh, and cared, we were just like, man, this is just becoming a lot. And uh, we pulled back. My family pulled back. I, I, you know, you know now. I, I, I ran, ran the marina for a while, and and now I'm mainly focused on this environmental cause of trying to solve the problems. But uh, you know, the local families like the Stileses and the, um, the Heisingers and the Hudson family and uh, my family and Foreman family. You know, uh, they always cared, right? It wasn't out-of-towners coming here, you know, because we had to live here. And uh, and we, they did, they developed things with a moral code or, you know, they cared about the community because it wasn't something that they were from New York or from somewhere else and they were just going to build something that and could walk away from it, right, and, and leave this town. We were living here forever, you know. And they knew that their family was going to be living here. So it was a little bit different than, say, some developers from the outside in the way they would approach the overdevelopment of Broward County. The, did you know that there's a term? I just, I just read this in the article uh, Mark Zinn sent me. There's a term that they use called Browardized. <laughs> and you know what that means? No. That means built out, right. totally full in your county. And um, Dade County, Broward County soon to be Palm Beach County, are all going to be totally built out. It just kept pushing west, right? And so, you know, these developments, I mean, Parkland was nothing when we were kids, right? And, and you know, now look at Parkland or Weston was nothing when we were kids. Dude, even um, Plantation, right. you know, it was full of cows and tomato fields and friggin'. Agricultural you, type of land right. and big, big land swaths of property. And, you know, if you lived in Plantation, you had acreage, you know, like... Uh, I, you know, in high school, I remember it was still like that. I mean, I, m I remember Glades Road in Boca when it was just a, you drove to the end of Glades Road and it was dirt, you know. Right. Uh, it's changed. It's, uh, you know, but it's it's like we live in one of the most beautiful places in the world and we're close to the Bahamas. We're, um, we're close to so much and, uh, you know, people caught on and, and, the growth has happened and, and it's like hard to stop growth. Let's specifically talk about your take on the water quality and the infrastructure here in Broward County because it's a good take from somebody like you 
that knew what it was 30 years ago. I mean, you really knew what it was 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. You spent the time on the water. You always had boats. You were involved with the marinas. You were in the fishy crowd. Um, am I correct by saying your first job was in a tackle shop? Uh, my first job was actually working in a mobile home park doing maintenance, <laughs> uh, clearing mobile home lots out in Davie. And I made, uh, I think minimum wage was like three fifty-four an hour. And uh, I would work all week and make like 70 bucks and i was like man this sucks right yeah. and and then uh i had some skills as a fisherman and had friends like andy moyes and uh was able to uh get a job at lmr through andy novak and uh he gave me opportunity back then there was still netters right and so they would net um my first how i got my first job there was a there was this guy named jocko who would um get them and uh, we would uh, have to rig them, right? So we would rig as fast as we could, right? And as many baits as we could rig, we would rig. And Novak would have us in there, just like an assembly line of us rigging baits. And then whatever we couldn't get done, by the end of it all, we would, uh, we would start bagging them and selects and, you know, separating them into different things. And, you know, I worked around Shorty. I worked around, you know, just all kinds of old legends that people don't even know about these days, right? You mentioned right. Shorty to most people these days. They don't right. even know what you're talking about, right. right? And just so the audience does know what he's talking about, Shorty was a legendary um, bait rigger here in town. It's kind of a weird. mullet, a mullet guy. He yeah. was. A, he could rig. A, he could rig a mullet, split tail mullet, swimming mullet, strip mullet. You name it. Best one of the best um, guys that ever rigged baits. And it's funny because. Those were the guys in the old days that kids like you and me looked up to. Right. You know what I mean? And today, it's not even a thought in the kid's mind that somebody could actually rig baits for a living. Right. Yeah, you beach bait and tackle, right? That's where Shorty came from, right? That's so. when I first remember him anyway. Yeah, me too. So I think probably the first time I remember Shorty is probably about 1980. Yeah. You know? I was probably little. You're, you you got a couple years on me, but um, yeah, somewhere in the mid-80s, I would say. Dude, Roy's Bait and Tackle that used to be where that giant condo is, or uh, Cunningham's uh, drugstore used to be. Roy from Roy's Bait and Tackle used to hit on my best friend's mother <laughs> when we go in there and buy shrimps. But it was a funny little town. Did he give you a deal on the shrimp at least? No. <laughs> if you got shrimp, they snook out there. That's all I could get out of Roy's Bait and Tackle. But it's just weird that now that we live in this city, and to think about small town and think about every how the whole thing revolved around the water and revolved around fishing. And now we've built out the city. Most people don't even know that water is even there anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now, the kids don't use it like we used to. That's for sure. No. You know, like, you know, every morning, every afternoon, we would be on those bridges, you know, catching mullet fishing, right? You had you had a, a mullet and a cast net and a casting rod and um, and then after you were done with that, we would play in the neighborhood vacant lot, play football, right? Play football, rope swings into the canals, right. frigging, you name it. Um, I remember swimming across the intercoastal, climbing up on the seawall till you go to uh, the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. and get off the, you know, the high dive. And you're right, the kids don't utilize Fort Lauderdale the way they used to. And unfortunately, there's a lot of reasons um, why. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell people all the time that when we used to fish here, you could just walk down the seawall behind people's houses and nobody really cared. Yeah. 
you know, you were the one that needed to know whether or not there was a big dog or something like that. Yeah, but no you, doubt. Yeah, but, you know, they encouraged you to fish, and they wanted to know what you were doing out there. And it's just so wild. Everybody knew each other, right? You know, and, and that was the difference, I think. And speaking of big dogs, I remember there was this Doberman Pinscher that lived on the end of my street. And uh, Miles Foreman and I, who lived on the same street, we were always terrified of this Doberman because he would get out all the time. And we would ride our bike, and he would come for us, man. And we, I left my bike there many a times and just left it and ran, <laughs> right? And Brad Ashland's family actually bought that house. And I was like, when Brad moved in, I'm like, thank you, man. I'm like, you got rid of this dog that used to scare the shit out of us our whole lives. <laughs> right, but that's, that's the type of knowledge you needed to know if you were fishing on the seawalls and stuff. Right. Yeah. You know? But um, we used to be able to snag mullet with a treble hook. Remember that? Yeah. Right. We used to be able to treble hook and snag mullet, man. Yeah. No, the, the canals were so loaded with fish back then. So you watched the, 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 the decline of wildlife mm -hmm. um, through your life. And I think when the sewage issue happened and the infrastructure blew up a couple years ago I think everything came to a head at that point where the few people left in town that actually knew and valued the water the way the old school guys did I think it hit home um, now being from the construction world what was going through your mind when we were having those huge sewage spills you know I think it was like a perfect storm of events um, the rising sea levels weren't helping, right? Uh, all of a sudden, you had any metal-based pipe that was, you know, I saw fail. I I personally witnessed failure of pipes that were less than 15 years old, right? Because they were metal-based, and as soon as that seawater was coming up through the ground, right, and gets onto that metal pipe, oxidation starts to happen, and and things start to fail, and so. That wasn't predicted, right? That just kind of happened. And then, you know, it wasn't sexy for any of the past politicians over the last 40 years to say, hey, we're going to spend $300 million or half a billion dollars on, uh, on fixing infrastructure. It's like kind of like when you're on a cruise ship, right? Uh, no one cares what goes on below deck, right? Or below the, you know, they just care about their, their, their casino or their dinner or their the pool. End the end result. Right, they don't. They don't like what makes it all work. That's like you know, in the engine room and all that is seriously important, right? Um, and it's not sexy to to tell people, hey, we gotta spend all this money to do that. And um, it got neglected for probably thirty years longer than it should have, and and it was because it was a hard sell. Right. So thirty years, thirty yeah. years of neglect, and it kind of came to a head. When the main pipes blew, and mm -hmm. they were dumping the sewage right into the small canals that we grew up on. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, that motivated you at the time. Yeah, I mean, I care about this town. I care about. I want my kids to grow up here. I want. I want my kids to be able to live the same, a similar life that I did. My whole goal in life was to be able to give my my children some sort of similar life that I had growing up here. And it was a big goal to reach because my, my father, you know, set a pretty high standard. Um, but I, I wanted to be able to buy a property on the water and be able to have my kids throw a cast net and have a bait pen and, and do all that, you know, and wake up in the morning before school and 
catch the jacks as the as the you know sun's coming up before you go to school and go to school smelling like mullet right right <laughs> i mean that's how we lived right <laughs> and uh you know so that was my goal and and then when i saw it <clears throat> you know just kind of you know i got i finally got to where i could do that and provide that for my kids and then you know everything started breaking and and uh it was just it was you know someone that cares it, it was it was disheartening it was it was emotional it was very emotional and you know i know you and i both i i was doing a trip from hurricane dorian in the abacos and i had rushed in i was i remember being totally sunburnt and i saw you at that town hall meeting right after the first break and you hey johnny what are you doing i'm like man i just got back in from the abacos two hours ago running relief supplies and and uh and now here i am here because it mattered right and i was exhausted but it mattered um to figure out solutions and to hear what everyone had to say and and you know people don't really realize that the government isn't geared up to handle this type of stuff right everybody thinks they are but they're not um you know i mean how many possible like they weren't geared up to handle covid right they like how many things can happen that the government just isn't geared up to handle and i think that's where people have mis um misconceptions or or well, it's confusing. I mean, think about how the government, how they're structured and how they act. You have all these different bureaucracies, you know, DEP, you the, the OSHA people, you got the um, uh, EPA, you have Florida Wildlife, you got all these, all these bureaucracies. So people want to think like, hey, the government has a grip. The government doesn't have a grip. It's just too much. It's too much. You can't prepare for everything. You can't prepare for a thousand different possible... Like, who knows what could happen tomorrow, man? Well, in my opinion, the bureaucracies are fairly worthless. And in the recent podcasts that we've done over the years, I always believed that it was going to be the private sector mm -hmm. that was going to be the ones that would solve the problems mm -hmm. that we have with pollution and the contamination of water. I never gave the, the government... I never gave the government even a, a positive thought that they were going to be the ones. I knew it was going to come from the private sector. Now, you've gone through the process and um, of actually getting something done, and I take great pride in that, and I'll tell you Thank why. You. Well, I take great pride in it. One, because when the sewage spill happened here in Fort Lauderdale, it hit me emotionally, and I wanted to do anything that I could in order to help the situation. Mm -hmm. And it's not an easy thing to do. And you've went that same route. It obviously motivated you enough where you just said you, you had to do something. So tell the audience what your idea was, where it originated from, and how you brought it to the table. So, um my family owned Banyan Bay Marine Center um, out west, and the water was kind of brackish back there. Right. And I wanted to start growing goggle eye and doing some things back there, but the salinity level wouldn't do it. Um, it wasn't healthy enough. The salt wasn't high enough to do it. So we had a warehouse back there, and I bought a, one of those uh, cheap uh, above-ground pools, <laughs> right? Right. And it was about 10,000 gallons, and I put it in an inside warehouse, and I started growing goggle eye and 
getting small babies and feeding them and growing and learning about them. And as I started to build the system out, because I mean, pound for pound, uh, in the fishing world, at least, um, Goggleye are some of the most expensive fish there are, right? Dude, we've been making fun of how much Goggleye costs for years. Right. So, um, so I was like, yeah, I'm going to start getting into this, learning about it, getting the aquaculture side of it, right? How right. do I take fingerlings and grow them? And, and so I started doing that. And as I was building the system, we had UV filters and we had wet dry filters. And um, my, bane, my buddy Shane Lafanier was like, you know, you need a protein scammer, Johnny. You know, he's like, to remove this type of waste out of the water that's being produced from the amount of feed you're giving them, um, to grow them, you know, they're just, a wet, dry, and a UV just isn't going to cut it. You got to, you got to look into protein skimmers. And And now, now the protein skimmers to keep the water pure enough so the fish can grow in there. Yeah. To remove waste. It's basically removes waste and pollutants. And so, um, I was like, Shane, how much do these things cost? And he's like, oh, like 30 or 40 grand, maybe 50 grand for the size you need. And I'm like, whoa, step back. I love goggle eye, but at this point, $100 a dozen doesn't sound too bad, right? When you're talking about 50 grand for a protein skimmer. So I was like, but I'm a pretty persistent, um, I believe in you know perseverance. So I was like, let me start studying it. So I started looking up the technology and the physics involved in what they do. And I built my own. <clears throat> and it was like about, I don't know, three, 400 gallons. I took one of those poly tanks that has a, a dome at the top. And I put four, um, I think they were three-inch pipes down the side. And I put a bunch of bio balls in them. And I put a bunch of jet heads. And I would shoot the, the water at high pressure from a pool pump into the bio balls that created the foam down in the bottom. And it worked. And uh, I saw the amount of waste we were pulling out. And it kept it kept the goggle eyes alive and it pulled out tremendous amount of waste and uh i was like this is really cool man and like like i just studied it and learned it and uh you know what the internet can do right the good and the bad and uh and so that's where i learned about protein skimmers and the physics involved in it and what they're capable of doing and it was based on me being a fisherman and and learning about goggle eye right right? And, and that's what always makes me laugh when the fucking politicians say oh are you a scientist and I'm like, no, but I've been fucking fishing for the last 40 years. I don't know. I got, I seem to, like, if a scientist told me something or a fisherman that would fish for the last 40 years told me something, I'd put my, I'd put my money on the fisherman. Well, like Dr. Charles Gregory, who I work with, right? Like, we always joke around. And, and uh, you know, he's, he, we, I always say he's the smartest man in the room, right? And he, he always, he's a very humble guy. So he's like, on paper, I'm the smartest guy in the room. Right. But, you know, I defer to the wisdom of the ages and other people. Like, it's not just, you know, book smart. You know, there's there's wisdom that comes with practical pre- purposes and practical practical practices, I guess. Right. Um, and he kind of joked about it. He goes, you know, you got the Bill Gates Foundation. You got all these huge organizations that are that have all these brilliant think tanks, right? Trying to figure out how to solve these problems about the waterways and the acidification and the pollution. And he goes, Johnny, you know how much, you know, Bill Gates spends on this think tank to come up with ideas? And he goes, but some kid from Fort Lauderdale? Fisherman. Fisherman. (laughs) (laughs) Came up with the idea. He he actually joked about it. And I I think you heard it on Dennis's podcast. He goes, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's it's shameful to society that that all these brilliant minds. It was you that came up with this damn idea, 
to try and implement it. Right. When you have all these brilliant PhDs, and look, I couldn't have done this without their knowledge. Like, there is a place, you know, like, you need their wisdom. You need it. Right. You, um, need, the, you need the superstar scientist. You need the credibility from all those guys. But the original idea came because of your fishing. Because of goggle eye. Because of your fishing experiences. Right. Yeah. Like I said, um, I, I think that's fucking cool. Thank you, man. You know, Thank I think you. that, in, and like I said, is I never thought that the government or somebody from FAU was going to come up with a really good, you know, fucking idea to make something happen. I knew it was going to come from the private sector, and I just, like I said, I take pride in it because of the fishing world. You yeah. know what I mean? The fishing world um, basically made this state go around for a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, Tourism, fishing base. You yeah. know, it's changing now, fast. But the original Florida cracker dudes were crazy about fishing, mm-hmm. which brought this technology forward, and it's just so fucking ironic. Well, what, what, like when I was a kid, right, I, I had a 23 Mako, and I could go out, and I could go catch goggle eye and, uh, and uh, pilchards, right, nice pilchards, right, big ones, and I could go out. And I would go catch, you know, some bait, and then I would go to someone, one of my neighbors, older gentlemen or different people that wanted to fish, and I'd be like, hey, you know, I got the bait, pay me a couple hundred bucks, I got all the bait, I got everything, let's go fishing. And then somewhere around like the mid '90s, I started seeing like ick, or whatever they call it, you know, um, parasitic and, and rashes on the pilchards we were catching right. out there. And then all of a sudden they were gone, man. You know, it went from like no problem, you know, where you would catch, you know, 100 pilchards and, you know, a few dozen goggle eye and maybe a couple hours to like, there was nothing, man. And I've learned more about that through my scientists that a lot of it had to do with pH levels and, and um, you know, that whacked pH levels lead to um, the, the fish losing their slime coats and the protection in their fins start to rot and... I learned what happened back then. Back then, I didn't understand, right? I just saw that there was, like, just rashes. Just watched it happen. Yeah, there was rashes on the pilchards, and there were just things, and then they were gone, right? And uh, it was sad, you know? And, and then, you know, you know, you're fishing a tournament. You're driving to West Palm Beach to get sardines at, like, you know, middle, you know, in the morning. You, you have to go all the way down the Keys to get goggle eye, you know, and park at Jimmy Johnson's spot and go down there and catch goggle eye and then run the boat up and I'm just like man what happened man like it didn't used to be like this we used to be able to just go out and spend you know a few hours and catch enough bait to fish the next day and and do your thing and now it became this like very costly and and uh big process big process right yeah now the uh the tournament scene was you know the probably the biggest, biggest example like whoever would have thought there would be bait delivery dudes you know what i mean in mm-hmm. south florida with the amount of bait that you know we grew up watching but you know it's 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 the way it went so anyway the protein skimmer you were doing that for your goggle eyes out there off the river mm-hmm. and um were you able to make that uh, successful i was and then i i did it for about a year and a half and it was doing great and then i messed up <laughs> And basically what happened was there was a huge freeze and I had some chillers and heaters, but the freeze was so much and I had the pool and I had sand down below the pool, but the, it was on a concrete slab 
and that concrete slab got so cold that the temperature changed too much and it wiped out like a year and a half of hard work <laughs> and i was just like holy shit man like i mean we used them in between and we you know we definitely benefited from it but like the project just took like a punch to the gut and i was just like man all right i gotta like and then it was like tens of thousands of more dollars to invest and I just kind of like that's where the project kind of faded it kind of faded yeah until but had I not done that project right I wouldn't be pulling pollution out of the water today right right now let's bring let's bring that all the way bring that all the way to today so you had this knowledge about the protein skimmer you knew that it worked you knew that it cleaned up water it pulled waste out of water specifically organic materials uh it algae blooms it pulls everything out of the water it's really the only thing it wasn't supposed to pull out was heavy metals but we've actually pulled out heavy metals because of a process called flocculation, which is the binding of the, slime, the sliminess of other um, pollutants or attaching the, the metals, the coppers and the um, iron and the lead is attaching to the other pollutants. So we've actually, if you took a bunch of heavy metals from what I understand and put them into uh, a water tank and then tried to use a protein skimmer to pull them out, mm-hmm. it wouldn't work. But because of all the other pollutants in the water, flocculation, I've been told, um, through my scientists, which is why they're important, all right? They, they, they teach you a lot. Um, it's a good team. Um, is started pulling out that. So we've pulled out way more contaminants than we ever expected we'd pull out. Um, and when I, when I, you know, I don't know if you open up those lids when you've come by the Hemorrhage Canal and those tanks we have. But it is some nasty, nasty stuff, man. I've well, I've watched it, and I've just watched you fill up. What is that? Two thousand gallon tank? What? How big is that yeah, tank? Yeah, yeah. I think that one's like eighteen hundred. Eighteen hundred gallons, of just condensed junk nastiness that you guys have been able to filter out of the water. Now, when you uh, when you when when you brought that idea, and I remember when you brought the idea because we did it at a city meeting, and we asked the city manager to look at protein skimmers. Mm-hmm. And I remember the jive-ass answer he gave us that we won't bring up right now, but... It wasn't jive. He was, he, he you know, he, it was, he, was, he was on the spot and he needed to, to look into it. Right, but the, the point I was making is, is the, that was the first time that anybody from the city of Fort Lauderdale... Anywhere in the world had thought of this concept. They even thought about, yeah, putting, it, putting, putting a, a protein skimmer as a uh, apparatus to actually clean the waterways. Now, from that point, from introducing it at a city meeting, town hall meeting, yeah. town hall meeting with Ben Sorensen, Commissioner Sorensen, and, and uh, city and, manager and, Chris Logan. And, and, and let me just explain to the audience what kind of meeting this was. This was a crisis control meeting because yeah. at the time, this particular meeting was to get the community that lived on the water together as almost a crisis control. And what the plan was to get us out of this problem that we're having. And people were emotional. People were pissed. But very few people came up with ideas or solutions. And when you came up with that idea and solution, nobody knew what the hell you were talking about. Now, take us from that point to where you are today. Because that was a hell of a lot of work and a lot. Well, first, I feel bad for the elected officials now and the city manager now, because this wasn't their doing. This was dropped in their lap. You know what I mean? They inherited the problem. They inherited the problem, and then everybody's attacking them. You know what I mean? And it was like, man, 
You know what I mean? Like, I had nothing to do with this. And now I'm getting screamed at and yelled at and have to come up with these, try and come up with solutions and crisis management, as you said. And, and you know, and it really wasn't their fault. Um, and, you know, the the technology, the only technology that the DEP or anyone had at that point was, was aer- aeration and, and bubblers. And, and um, I can tell you from the science work we've done, um, well, it does add some oxygen to the water, but not really the right oxygen because um, the bubbles are too big. Um, right. It just basically takes stuff from the bottom of the water column and pushes it up. And then the bad part about it, um, I don't want to get in trouble here, but the bad part about it is if there's cyanobacteria and algae blooms, you're basically making the stuff airborne. Put it in the air. So people can breathe it, yeah. And that's not a good solution. <laughs> well, it doesn't work. I mean, I think it was something that they did. They were just—they didn't know what to they do. Didn't know. Yeah, exactly. They were trying their best, right? And you can't blame somebody. You know, it's—it's it's, you know they're trying. Um, I, you know, I commend people for trying, but you got to keep growing, right? You got to keep growing with your evolving with your ideas, and you can't just you know. So the protein skimmer solution. How did you win the city over? With at least, you know, cooperating and trying to get this thing in the water and to find out if you could actually, you know, make 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 a difference. I went to my best friend and uh, previous business partner on different we he had a rock band when we were in high school and I managed this rock band and we'd build a broadband company together, we were in the movie business together, we'd done a lot of stuff. Miles Foreman, uh, great guy. And and someone that has a great heart and really cares about this community. And uh, I went to him and, and just said, man, we just got to do this, you know, like. Uh, so you get your dogs together, you get miles. Mm-hmm. And I was able to get funding to to uh, build the first barge. Um, and they didn't believe, you know, there was a lot of talk about flushing and how much was flushing. And we could tell by our testing. We, we tested for a long time doing R&D figuring out what was going on. And I don't know if people realize this, but coliforms only live in the water column. They don't live on the bottom, okay? And they also only live for six to seven days. So when we see these tests and you're still showing coliforms, um, it's new stuff going in there, man. It's it's not... It, it, the bacteria only lives for so long. Right. So it's like there's still... like. There's a source still infecting the water or, or contaminating the water. Yeah, and that's why part of our barge was also a science platform, right? Because we wanted to understand we're doing 24-hour monitoring of all kinds of probes like pH, dissolved oxygen, what's called orb, which is um, basically f- the ability for sunlight to penetrate through the water and turbidity. And I don't know, there's, the scientists could explain it way better than me. But there's, we, have, we, we, we were testing everything constantly. We test 10 samples a day right now and have for months right. um, to learn, right? What's going on, where it's coming from, where it's, you know, and, and uh, you know, as the mayor put in his newsletter, like it's led to some um, investigations, police investigations by the Environmental Crimes Division, you know. Uh, We're trying to find out the source of where the pollution's well, coming we, from. We found some weird stuff that was going on. But how did you get the city to buy into your protein skimmer idea? We funded it. <laughs> so you paid for it. Yeah. Okay. We funded it, and then we we um, we told them we'd operate um, for free. 
for the first two weeks to show them what we could do. And, uh, and then we had certain benchmarks we had to hit. And uh, we gave ourselves two weeks to hit those benchmarks. And then uh, we were able actually to hit them within like eight to nine days. And, uh, and then that um, got the contract uh, into place, right? Because this was a new technology. No one's ever done this in the world, right? So I understand their apprehension, right? Like, you know, why hasn't the Bill Gates Foundation done this? Why hasn't, you know, all these brilliant minds? And so, you know, they had their apprehensions. And it's like they told us that there was no, you know, not, uh, not the city manager or anybody, but people in staff had said there's no way equalize in him or she canal because equalize only exists in fresh water and we're like well we're testing it and we've been testing it for a year and there's equalize in the water it exists in this brackish water right the salinity that's the other problem the salinity is so up and down um well that's a, that, yeah that's a, that is a big deal and in, in that particular canal um especially at that time there was freshwater gar tilapia cichlids all sorts of freshwater um life in that particular water anybody that went down there with their own eyes could could see that but um and, and then also oxygen oxygenation was a huge issue right i mean the fish kills in miami right and you know when they're driving around with like fire boats trying to create oxygen by spraying the water right, right? that's that's like desperation right that's that's desperate, like that was desperate times down there right but it you know you know, one of the things, the byproduct of the protein skimmers is, is super oxygenated water. We're creating billions of bubbles um, that's going into the water. So we're, we're pulling out waste at the same time returning oxygenated clean water into it. And, you know, oxygen, oxygen also is like, it's like oxyclean, right? Oxygen is also something that helps break down decomposing matter and it helps it, you know, it, it helps clean it and it helps things break down that are there and dormant. So the oxygen, not only by removing the, the waste that we were removing, but the oxygenation of the water was also having huge positive impacts that we, we knew would happen, but not to the level it did. It, it really started to break down, and we actually got to sp spots where we were seeing white sand down there again, and it's a mangrove area, you know, and there's, you know, underneath all that muck and 100 years of muck, right? I mean, what do you think was happening here 60 years ago in boat yards or 50 years ago i mean come on you know what i mean it's you know i mean there's a lot of crap that went in the water we developed the whole fucking place every time we develop you know more crap goes in the water it's amazing that the amount of wildlife is actually there's anything left and it wants to come back now the um so the protein skimmer we have in the what we call the hemorrhage canal and i remember you guys picking that location um, some people were a little concerned that there was a tidal flow in there and they didn't think that uh, a protein skimmer type apparatus would actually work in there. And um, I was like, I thought it was a great place to start. And the reason I thought it was a great place to start is because one, it's visual, meaning you could drive by there and take a look. Two, that was kind of one of the few places, George English Park, Hemmershey Canal, and the Tarpon River that was rock bottom where they actually dumped the sewage directly in there there was pipes that were actually breaking in the canal so i thought it'd be a great place to have um the protein skimmer um especially to start it's also one one of the the last true estuaries that we have right there's mangroves there right we don't have many estuaries left Correct. right so it, it was an estuary that was one of the main reasons also we chose that location because 
How many canals or estuaries in this town right now? No, there's pretty, there's, dude, there's hardly any estuaries left. Right. Gone. They're all gone. And, um, you know, within, you know, weeks of us doing our, our, uh, our work, we just started seeing fish circling underneath our barge. Right. They love the oxygen. And we saw birds and wildlife and mullet and ghost shrimp and, you know, triple tails and, and pilchards and you, you name it. They were all coming. It was like uh, Dr. Gregory explains it to me. It's like you and I smell barbecue from a mile away, right? The fish smell it and, and can find it. And they knew there was oxygen there. And, you know, I mean... I'm glad guys didn't start fishing there. I'm probably letting them on to something. But, uh, you know, there was, you know, the fish just started showing up in record numbers and the babies. And that's why I would, I would ask people to leave it alone because it's an estuary. But the amount of life, like, we, I have all kinds of data I could show you um, of, like, photos. And, you know, we, we do samples all the time of biology coming back. And, and yeah, that, that, data, that data is for the government and those people. All I got to do is go <clears> by the canal and look at that container that you guys keep filling up full of friggin waste and i say i see the stuff come from that protein skimmer right <laughs> right into that waste tank and then what johnson or somebody comes and picks up the waste yeah john we have, yeah johnson septic does and they're great uh panzarelli family has really been great partners with us in, in in dealing with it and then the county takes it um uh so they've been great partners as well with us and so so at this point i mean it's undebatable the fucking thing works. Yeah. And you guys put in the time and the energy to make it where it's actual machine. Now, what is your goal and where do you see the protein skimmer going from here? I mean, do you see hundreds of these things in all sorts of different water columns pulling out the bacteria and the and the fecal and matter and whatever else that's in there that makes it so nasty? So we're building uh, another barge right now. And that barge will do four to five times the amount of water processing and waste removal that the current one is. Um, we, Himmershi was so shallow and you had low bridges and narrowness that we were limited by what we could do there. Um, I mean, when we first started, it was a strawberry moon and we were on the bottom, you know what I mean, at low right. tide. And then we're trying to figure out how to get our intakes because it's so shallow and we struggled with that strawberry moon and we started at June 1st, like the start of hurricane season. So we're dealing with r runoff and, and, uh, but the next project is to get on the river, right? That's where we want to go. We want to get on the river. We're going to have a huge system there and we're going to just pull out pollutants out of the river. And then we're also, um, have designed a freshwater protein skimmer system because, um, protein skimmers work better. The, the ones we have designed work better the higher the salinity is. The higher the salinity is, the more foam is created. So to create a... I don't want to drop too much of the knowledge we have because um, it's intellectual well, properties. A, I mean, it's uh, simple. It's just like a lot of other shit. You get a saltwater apparatus and a freshwater apparatus, whether it's a trolling motor or freaking all sorts of different equipment. Some shit works better in salt and, and fresh. Right. So in order to scale the thing and in order to get it in multiple areas you're thinking you're going to have to make a freshwater apparatus we already are yeah all right so you're making a freshwater apparatus and a saltwater apparatus that's one of the things that i learned through this whole process is i didn't realize that all those small ponds and lakes on these golf courses and through plantation and cooper city and uh parkland and all the way out to the everglades are just as contaminated as the water is yeah, I can, oh, I can confirm that. Everybody thinks that um, 
Fort Lauderdale's the worst. It's not. It's no, it's a state. It's a state issue, and it's a saltwater, freshwater issue. Yeah. And it starts from the second it leaves the Everglades mm-hmm. to the time it gets to where the development is. And obviously, there's a number of reasons for that, and everybody knows that. It's infrastructure and sewage problems. It's drain runoff. Mm-hmm. And um, but there's something more going on. I can just tell you, there's something more going on. We haven't we haven't put our finger on it yet, but uh, there's more to there's something else that we can't that we're 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 just seeing things that just don't make sense uh, in our science in our testing and you know uh, we're trying to get to the bottom of it um, and the city's been very supportive of us getting to the bottom of it because um, you mean there's something more to the source of pollution yeah okay well. I think um, I think you're right. I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff that you guys will find. But I just think that we finally have an apparatus, mm-hmm. a machine. And a science platform. That you can actually take and make a difference in the, in the water quality. And... To this date, I don't know of anything else that anybody else has put on the table. No, as, as I share with you, we, we've been invited to participate in something called Ocean Exchange, which is some of the most brilliant minds from MIT and Stanford and all over that compete. Um, um, and we're, we're, we're uh, it's a, basically like an incubator for solutions, ocean-related and in the water-related, and we're working on that right now. Um, but, yeah, you need, this needs to be, dealt with on a on a huge level and it's like we've met with so many municipalities and it's like it 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 really everybody has to clean their own backyard right right if you don't take care of your own backyard then you know it's not and i'm just using this as examples um it's not dania beach's job to clean hollywood's water or hollywood to clean dania's water or you know what i mean it 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 all kind of has to well, cumulatively, everybody has to do it together because the right. water doesn't—the water doesn't know if it's Fort Lauderdale or Hollywood or Pompano or water finds else. a way, right? And that was—that was kind of where I was going with this. Is like, do you see the whole state, the whole country adopting an apparatus like this? It's my mission in life to do that, and you know, I—I. I'll die doing this. Um, it, you know, we will keep doing this and keep cleaning the water till probably the day I die. And hopefully that's 50 years from now, God willing. Um, well, I'm hoping it, I'm hoping, I'm hoping it catches on kind of like the way a pool pump caught on. Like, you know, there was a time when people didn't have pool pumps. Yeah. And now there's pool pumps everywhere. Yeah. You know, I'd love to see the protein skimmer in every friggin' pond and every friggin' canal that records bacteria and fecal levels that are unhealthy. I've seen other systems that I like, like I like that water goat system to clean plastic out of yeah. the water and trash. I think that's the parachute what, skimmers. I think the parachute skimmer is freaking great. I think there's some um, filters that they can put on certain drain pipes that can really catch a lot of garbage and trash that goes into the water. But I haven't seen an apparatus like the one that you have that's somewhat scalable and can be placed in um, concentrated like bad areas like if there's a really bad area mm-hmm. you can't pro- you can't um, skim that water 
you can't do anything but fix it. This particular apparatus, the protein skimmers that you guys are making, actually fix the problem itself. What people need to understand, and they talk about flushing or whatever title, like the ocean's on our toilet, even if it flushed, which it doesn't, okay? We've done testing and we've, the sediment doesn't flush like they think it does. And like I said, we, we had to find points of source, right? You had to identify that there's still points of source of pollution going on. And then the only way to deal with this is to remove it. There's no, there's no, other, there's no other solution but to pull it from the water. If you're not removing it, what are you doing, right? It's still there. You're just moving it around. It's like mouthwash in your mouth, right? You, you, you're just swishing it back and forth, and it's just staying there. And uh, the only answer is to pull it out. And I know that's what we're doing. We're pulling out severely or, or incredibly concentrated sludge right. of nasty, um, I mean... Viagra's in it, I, you know, antihistamines are in it, Heart, anything that goes through the human body, we're finding in our testing. And anything that's flushed down a toilet, right? you're and, finding in your testing. Yeah. There's, and, and there's, <laughs> there's that's a not a coincidence. There. Yeah. And, and I don't, I can't, I don't make, you know, I, I'm smart enough to, I don't make, you have to know, right? You have to figure it out, right? You can't make, I don't make any accusations about anything. You have to learn. You have to figure it out. And you, the only way you do that is through science. And through being on the water every day, like you are, right? You're a fisherman. You're on the water every day, right? Your knowledge is deep because of that, right? You can't go to somebody that goes out, a weekend warrior, or a guy that goes out once a month, right? Like, which is, unfortunately, I don't get out as much as I used to. But your knowledge comes from being on the water every day. Right. Anybody that is on the water, no matter what you're doing, fishing, um, whether you're a ferry boat driver, whatever the heck you are, if you're on the water every day, Mm-hmm. One, you're a minority, and two, you see things differently than everybody else sees because that's not fair. You know, that's not normal. Mm-hmm. So I feel you on that, and that's important. And it's like why guys like you or Jimmy David, such a great fisherman, dude. He's out there every day, right. right? You're out there every day. You you're you have the pulse of of the ocean. You have the pulse of the inland waterways. You have the pulse of where baits are moving and what, what are feeding them what at what time, right? Like, you can't just go out there and guess that. Well, and, and, and people that have been on the water and you see it over and over, like with Captains for Clean Waters and um, the water keeper systems, all these guys that are motivated to get involved in cleaning up the environment, there's a, they, because they spend so much so much time on the water, they understand it so much better than everybody else. They feel compelled that they have to get in the fight. Yeah, but there's a lot of like like Dr. Gregory likes to use the line "violins on the Titanic," right? There's uh, you know, are we playing violins on the t- Titanic as the ship's sinking, or are we trying to float the ship, right? right? And we're trying to float the ship. We're not just sitting there, you know, playing violins right. and letting everybody know how horrible it is, right? It, it's it's about action, right? Not just, um, and, and that's what needs to happen. And there's several great ideas. You brought up the water go and the parachute skimmers, or there's all kinds of other ideas we were working on as well. Um, because you have to, it, it's going to take a lot to do this. Well, it's multifaceted for sure. So they have to fix the infrastructure. They have to clean the water. We have to plant new trees. We have to, we have to get the plastics out of the water. There's so much, like I said, it's multifaceted. And there's personal responsibility pollution, too. People need to take some ownership of that. 
Like, it's easy to just blame the government for everything. Well, I know that's a pet peeve of yours. Right. And I know that really irritates the piss out of you. Right. And, and I get it. And um, It's like, let, oh, let's just blame the government for everything and not, you know, and the same person dumping waste out of the side of their boat, right? And, right. and Or, you know, has plastic bottles, water bottles that fly out of their boat when they're going 40 miles an hour into the... Into the I don't want to blame people. I just want to solve it. You yeah. know, it, it's not about blaming anybody. Let's just fix it. Let's just change. You know, you gotta you gotta make changes in your lifestyle and changes in your actions. It's like I used to buy, uh, you know, good water, right? And and I'd have plastic water bottles, and I switched to five gallon jugs. And and uh, you know, I think you know the industry coming up with a way to get rid of fishermen have to have plastic water bottles, right? It's it's really uh, it's it not have to, but it's 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 normal. It's normal. It's convenient. Right. But unfortunately, it's a horrible source of pollution right but where is the answer right and how do we solve that you know that's something that people should look at you know well i'll give you another example um just trying to get people motivated bringing light to the problem mm-hmm. is very, education yeah right and it's very hard and it was funny because i was it's not funny but i was listening to a podcast uh, the meat eaters podcast and they had tucker carlson on there mm-hmm. and i actually watch the Tucker Carlson show to find out that he's into fly fishing and he fishes here in Florida. He understands the water quality problem. And I remember him um, a couple of years ago uh, or a few years ago when the red tide was so bad on the West Coast that he actually mentioned it on his show. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, national fucking press actually, you know, reached out and mentioned the red tide thing. Then I found out on that podcast that the ratings are so bad when you talk about environmental issues, right? the big media companies don't want to talk about it. right? And I'm experiencing the same thing. As I go around town and I ask the people that actually live on the water what they think about the problem, and they don't think about the problem. Here, here's like, all right, so you talk about red tide. So red tides are a natural occurring event, okay? They, they, they do occur naturally. I remember being in Costa Rica, mm-hmm. Um, back in the 90s and we'd have red tides come in right and they, it happens all right it's algae blooms that occur there's naturally. a natural red tide right and then you have what is called the blue green algae which is a cyanobacteria which is more made by the nitrogen the phosphorus the the cow shit the the nutrients the pollutants <laughs> is what we we, we called it right? yeah because like people think of nutrients is healthy and it's like no these aren't it, it's over yeah, no, nutrients. We, we covered that on the podcast a long time ago. That right. Because that's confusing. Right. You think nutrients. Yeah, you think, you think vitamins, good. you're healthy. Yeah, let's, let's, let's be healthy. No, this is bad. <laughs> you know, this is bad stuff. And that's a problem with cyanobacteria. It's, it's a nitrogen fixer, okay? All it needs is sun, okay? And it, it's, it's called what's called an archaic element, meaning it was one of the first 10 bacterias in the, in the universe. So this stuff is like... You can't kill it. Like if you wanted to go, as Dr. Gregory told me, if you wanted to go pioneers, pioneer Mars, you'd bring cyanobacteria with you because it would grow there. Um, and, you know, blue green, you know, you know, blue green algae is also spirulina, right? Like there's a, there's forms of, of vitamins that are made from blue green algae, but it's not the same cyanobacteria we're dealing with. Um, so it gets very confusing. I remember when I was in, uh, I, I worked out of uh, my first year or two of college. I was up in uh, Indian River because I wanted to be part of Harbor Branch Oceanographic Institute. And I learned a lot and took some oceanography classes and some marine biology classes. And back then they told us about El Nino, right? And when I was taught about El Nino, it was uh, once every 10 years, this 
it would occur. And then it occurred three times in seven years. <laughs> right. And I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. That's... I was just in a class where you told me this happens every 10 years. And it's happened. And then they started calling it La Nina and like coming up with different names for it. And, uh, you know, they don't know. I mean, the, 70% of the, of the world is ocean. And it's so, it's the least, you know, we probably know more about space than we knew about the ocean, to be honest with you. It's, yeah. it's, the ocean's tough because, you know, we always, we always talk about the Jaws movie. That was Spielberg's hardest movie to ever friggin' film. Why? Because he had to deal with the ocean. Yeah. And it's a, it's a hard thing to deal with. So talking about, all right, so the, see, all right, see my swimming pool, okay, mm-hmm. got taken over by the uh, cyanobacteria. Mm-hmm. If I put that protein skimmer in there. It's going to pull it out. How fast? How fast? All right, say I had a 5,000-gallon pool. With yep. the protein skimmer that you already made, how fast can you guys process the 5,000 gallons? And you don't have to be 100% around it. Just give people the, you know, an idea. I can be pretty damn close. Okay. All right. So um, right now we're moving 1,000 to 1,200 gallons per minute through our system. Every time we run it through the system, we're reducing it by 50%. So if I run whatever I run through the system, 50% of the waste is pulled out. So if you run it twice, you get 100% of the waste. Or 75. It, no, because it, 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 you know, you the first time you get 50% out. The second time you get half of that, which is 75%. Okay. You it, understand what it, I mean? It. So it like right. goes down like that. So pretty damn quick. Um, we're hoping to be part of the boat show this year. Marine Industries has been a big supporter of us. Phil Purcells from the Marine Industries has been a big supporter of our project. And uh, we hope to do an example um, and show people uh, firsthand uh, what they can do and it, it's not just protein skimmers we've we've adapted other things because protein skimmers weren't meant for natural environments so we've had to do patent pending stuff and and adapt it for natural we've had to work with fwc and different organizations to you know to, you know to deal with and address it and we're working with the fwc hopefully soon on a manatee feeding program because manatees are dying so fast and you know, you gotta kind of, you gotta kind of help everybody. You gotta. What I've learned is, you gotta kind of be part of. You gotta be a team player, right? You gotta, you gotta help solve a lot of problems if you want help with your problem, right? Yeah, it's a good way to look at it. And if you just focus on your own problem and don't look at helping others, then you're all alone on an island. I tell you, a, a guy that was a big mentor to me in my life, a guy named Tony Tundo, mm-hmm. he taught me a lot. But one of the things that he taught me, he says, you can have anything you want in life as long as you help everybody else first. Yeah. And I, I've, I've lived by that for a long time. And it makes a lot of sense. Wise words. No, I think it, it just makes a lot of sense. And I think that's the process that you guys are doing and you're going through with your business. I personally don't have the patience to deal with all that red tape. Yeah, I mean, you, th- you try and put a new window in your house. Think about the permitting involved to do that, right? Mm-hmm. You trying to do something like we're doing, and I know you don't like the word red tape and, and all that, but there is a lot of, and, and there's a lot of you know you got the Army Corps of Engineers, you got the DEP, you got the FWC, you let's, got let's talk a little bit city, about, about state, about, you got yeah about the red tape. Um, obviously, these other apparatuses say the uh, um, the one I like, the water goat. I support them all, man. Right. But do you think that the red tape is the thing that's bogging those types of ideas down? Like just bogging them down where people just kind of throw their hands up in the air and be like, I know it works, but I can't get through all this red tape. 
and the only way is just to be so determined and so focused that and passionate about something you love and I I really related to my children and the future future kids you know future generations that I owe it to them and uh, I want to restore the waterways back to how it was or even better than when I was a kid and that's what drives me like I want my son to be able to throw a cast net without having to shoot him down with hydrogen peroxide afterwards you know what i mean or that uh halbicide stuff i told you about right brian sanders had that bad fish bacteria right that almost took his hand and and you know there's you know i, I went to doctors and said dude i'm messing with some pretty nasty stuff and i got little cuts all over my hands and and uh i don't want to wind up losing you know flesh eating bacteria and you know i learned from from you know i go i go anywhere there's knowledge right and you gotta seek it out you you can learn something from everybody and, and you know, people need to be open-minded to that, right? And, and I went to my doctor and he's like, Johnny, scrub your body down with halbicide every night. Like take a shower, scrub it down, it kills everything. It's what we use before we go into surgery to clean and kill everything so we don't infect. So you asked your doctor that because you're around all the, all the, the waste, all yeah. the pollution and everything. Yeah. You were like, Jesus, I'm gonna get sick here dealing with this shit? Yeah. And that was his advice? Yeah, he's like, Go buy gallons of halbicide, give it to everybody on your team, everybody in your company. And I went and bought five gallons of it and distributed it among all of our workers and said, you guys scrub yourself down with this every night. You know, I don't, I, I won't let my kids swim in the canal system anymore at all. Yeah. And I feel horrible about it. Mm -hmm. But I just in my, I, and I watch people swim in the canals Every here. weekend, man. And I'm just like, how many people are get, you think are, you know, getting an infection or getting sick or whatever I don't think they necessarily like it depends the severity of it like what happened to JT right that was severe right and damn near lost his leg right and what happened to Brian San Sanders that was severe right Susie Bailey that was severe yeah I didn't know what she had some she got Mercer from friggin paddle boarding right. in the friggin canal system right so um yeah and I remember like when I used to when I grew up fishing working on boats with Moyes and Tiny and all those guys like we used to cut our hands and we would soak our hands in bleach, which wasn't the healthiest thing to do, but it was all we knew how to do. And when I lived in the jungles of Costa Rica and there was all kinds of, you know, I took typhoid vaccinations and dengue fever and malaria and all this stuff because it was just nasty. You know, you could get really sick down there. And uh, Vagisil, we used to cover our bodies in Vagisil. <laughs> all of us in our Dobbs kit, all these men, tough guy fishermen, were carrying around bottles of Vagisil to wipe our bodies down to kill Bacteria. I don't know if I should have said that, but <laughs> yeah, it's all good. The um, I, you know, I just it's just mind-boggling to me. Um, I have to keep antibacterial soap on my boat when I catch bait every day. Get that halbicide stuff I sent you a picture of. Yeah, that that's going. Just to be, don't let it get in the water, but like just keep it out of the water. Yeah, keep it out of the water. We don't need to put. It, but like at the end of the day, or you know, when you're you know what you're, you know, tell your clients or whoever scrub down with it and we carry some spray bottles of hydrogen peroxide that our guys use you know and we're very cautious because look we've been operating there for i don't know two and a half months now two months i don't know something like that and and no one's gotten sick you know and it's been you know i took that responsibility on very well, seriously and you should have because we knew guys that got sick and that's from that same exact canal now if somebody wanted to take your apparatus mm in St. Augustine or Punta Gorda or some town, how would you suggest that they introduce it to their local municipality? It, and is that the way to 
is that the way to, to probably reach out it? to us because of of um just our r&d on it um and what it takes to we had to develop patents on things to make it work in wildlife right um to protect wildlife because like a lot of people said oh use uv filters and uh uh, we chose not to use UV filters. We've chosen not to use ozone, right? Which are which which do kill bacteria, right? But they kill every fish. other living organism, also, right? Right. And so we made it a point not to go that direction, right? Um, we've come up with some other solutions that we could possibly use them in, um, but not in natural life, natural marine life. All right. So a guy. A guy in the Tampa area, because they got their fucking issues, or a guy in the Mosquito Lagoon area, they got their issues. They want to bring this up in their local municipality meeting. Mm -hmm. And your suggestion is to bring you guys right up there and have well, you give speak us a call. for them? Yeah, we'll speak and we'll work with them. And, and people want to, you know, start working with us in, in other areas. Like, we can't handle the whole world. Um, we want to work with people on it. Um, and, and we have the knowledge of, like, you know, you can't beat, you know, we did we did over a year and a half of R&D before we even got in the water. Right. And we did so much testing and models and figured out how to do it. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, we're, well, we're a couple of years ahead of everybody on this. But you're, gi you're, you're giving people leverage. And what I mean by that is they don't have to do the research and stuff. You've done it for them. Yeah. So they can introduce it to their local municipality and then... You guys can go down there and close the deal and actually explain what's actually happened. And if they want to be a part of it, we'd love for them to be a part of it. You know, and, and if they want to, almost like a franchise, I don't know, like, I, you know, like we can't take on everywhere, you know, but they got to do it right, you know, because it's, there's dangerous ways to do it. You got to follow certain protocols. We don't want any marine life being killed, you know. Well, the reason I bring it up is the number one question that I get is what can we do? in our own local community to help. And I want the audience to understand that if you understand the protein skimmer and you want to introduce that to your problem in your local municipality, whether it's your city manager or your mayor or whatever meeting it may be, you're giving them leverage. They don't have to do the research anymore. Yeah, reach out to us and say you want to be part of it and you want to, you want to, you know, be part of Tampa's clean waterways you know concept and we'll work with you you know we we want to solve the problem and like i said there's so many other things that need to happen like this is just one thing um it's a big thing because it's microbiology and it's it's a well it's a it's a, it's a thing it's a piece to the puzzle you can't finish a puzzle if you don't have all the pieces right. and john you've done a great job at giving people a piece of the puzzle so maybe we can actually get this fucking thing fixed one day we will. I, I, I promised it to my kids. I, it, it's, it's, you know, I, I know you have a daughter, and, and when you make a promise to your child, it means something, right? And, and you, you hold that deep to your heart. And, uh, you know, we, we want to help fix the problem. And like I said, we did the R&D. We have so much knowledge to help sell it to other areas. And we've met with people from, you know, we're working with the federal government right now on part of the infrastructure bill, trying to get earmarks um, to address this and try and get federally matched funds for municipalities that take this on. So it's like I put together a team of people that are scientists, government relations, you know, right. lobbyists on the federal, city, state, county, all the different levels because it takes it all, right? And our kind of thing is like 
every time you're moving water, right? South Florida Waterman Management District, all different areas have Waterman Management Districts, right? Where they're moving water. And, and our opinion is anytime you're moving water, you should be cleaning it. Why not? You're already pumping it. You're already moving it. Like, why not be cleaning it? Right. And that will have a tremendous impact. And then you got to find the points of source. And there's more to the, you know, there's, there's investigations going on because there's more to it. And I don't have the answers yet, but I, all I do know is there's more to it than, than what people think. Well, John, I think um, I think you've cleared up a lot of the um, a lot of the mystery behind the protein skimmer in this podcast. I think that you've let people know that there is some leverage that they can work off. A lot of the stuff that you've got is, have done already. I think that people understand that it's a piece to the puzzle, mm-hmm. a part to fix everything. And um, just appreciate your time and thanks for being on the uh, Real Guy podcast. And I do, I just, I want everybody to realize, you know, kind of on an ending note is like, you know, there's been a lot of division, of, division among everybody with common goals. And we all need to work together, man. Like, like that's something I really care about. It's like, you know, CCN or, or CCA or Dennis or you or all the different organizations, we all need to get together and work. The Reef Institute, right? Like, I, I, we've partnered with the Reef Institute on a lot of things because they're dealing with trying to save the corals, right? And the, it's all part of the puzzle. It's all part of the, you know, saving the ocean and saving the waterways. And I just, people just need to back off on being so hard on each other and try and help work with each other. And that's what I would love to see. And that's one of the main reasons I wanted to be on this podcast is to encourage people to come together and work together with each other. You know, we, there was a nonprofit uh, that, that we helped, uh, you know, get started and, and uh, I'm not on it. Um, but the goal of that is, is it's like a united way of the waterways to help fund initiative driven projects. Hey, you got a project, you got an idea, let's, let us help fund it and, and help do it. You know, whether it be education through what you do with CCN or, um, you know, CCA doing redfish, you know, or, or snook or, you know, you know, seeding, seeding areas, but we have to get the water healthy enough for mother nature to allow these animals to live. Since you brought up, um, uniting, do you, do you, do you see that, um, people not being united? Yes. Or is it, is an obstacle? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. I do see it as an obstacle and, and, uh, you know, there's too much, you know, to be an expert these days, all you need is a Facebook account, right? Right. And then you're an expert, and you can you can say anything say you anything want. you want, and and it doesn't you know you know. But put your time in, and like I don't want to attack anybody, man. I I want to support people. I want to support fixing problems, and I think the more people unite and say, hey, we all have the same common goal of saving the inland waterways and saving the ocean. Let's work together. What you know, you know. Divided, we fail, right? Isn't that the, the line? If you're divided, you fail, right? If an army's divided, you, you're going to fail. Um, and we're, we, I look at us as an army of the waterways, and we can't be divided. We have to be together, and we have to work together and, and uh, support each other. Because if we support each other, greater things will happen. Yeah, and, the con- and, the, and everybody has the common goal. Right. And it's hard and it's frustrating because people don't have a chart or a map to go by. We're kind of making it up as we go. 
and I think that's where people will start going their different directions. Mm-hmm. And I think what I think what you're concerned about is let's quit going in different directions because we all want to be at the same place at the end. Right. And it, it, it takes guys like you to unite. You know, like you're a great leader and you're a great you know spokesman for the waterways. And thank you. Your leadership and others' leadership is extremely important to uniting people. And you know, I'm happy. You know what we're doing is, like I said, we're we're solving, we're helping address the problem. We're we're taking action, but education, uh, the Reef Institute, all these different organizations that are out there, um, bring them all together, man. Like you know, we, there's enough. There's there's enough. Like Miles, I was talking to Miles about it before I went on this podcast. And he's like, there's plenty of ocean to go around. There's plenty of dirty water to go around. Plenty, plenty for everybody to yeah, fix. Yeah, there's plenty of dirty water to go. We, you know, we. We, we, we couldn't all address it, even everybody that's for it. There's, there's, there's more ocean than we can deal with and more water than we can deal with. So why not come together? Yeah. No, uh, you're not the first person that brought that up. It's, it's, uh, it's funny, the, uh, I bring it up often, but Dave Marciano was on the podcast from Wicked Tuna, and he thinks that there's a lot of people that love to see fishermen not united. Yeah, and he firmly believes that if fishermen and everybody else united together, that be we'd be a non-stoppable force. And the reason that we run into so many dead ends is because we're not united. Well, it's not just fishermen. That's what you got to realize about that too. Fishermen are strong, and you, I agree. But there's people that care deeply about manatees. There's people like Susie Bailey that care, cares. She likes to paddleboard, right? right? Um, there's divers. There's you know surfers, what I mean. Right. Surfers. There's there's all these different factions that care about the ocean and the waterways. And that's what you talk about. Everybody needs to unite. Yeah. yeah and you and, you and you alienate people when, you know, because fishermen have their own, we're our own breed, right? And, uh, well, and then we have breeds among breeds. We got commercial fishermen, we got flats guys, we got offshore guys, you got sword guys. You, you know, united is the way to go. Yeah. And I want, and, you know, we're going to do our best to do that. And we're going to do our best to, uh, the, the nonprofit. We want to work with CCN and, and, uh, other organizations. Um, to come up with ideas like manatee feeding plants like you know uh, you know that's an important thing to a lot of people and we're helping do that um and i'm a fisherman like i'm not out catching manatees you know right. what i mean but it's important to a lot of people so and it's important to bring all those people in right, right. that that care right and if if you say hey your idea doesn't matter because i only care about catching fish then you just lost a huge portion of people that would support and they all want to end up at the same place. Right. No, I feel you. I feel you. That's a really good point. John, um, appreciate your time today. Appreciate you, man. And, you uh, keep leading the way and keep doing your thing and, and keep being a spokesman, you know, and, uh, and, and yeah, let's, let's help try and unite people, man. And, and from, from paddle boarders to people that care about manatees to surfers to, to fishermen. All right. I feel you. Thanks, John. And run that dog. You too. Run that dog, brother.